Well, hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Brand Builder Show. Today's episode is going to be another cracker. I'm joined by Sam. Sam is one of the beloved members of our Brand Builder University community. She has a crazy business story. She launched a trampoline park, of all things, a few years ago, quickly grew it to multi-million pound revenues in under two years. Crazy, crazy journey, and then actually walked away from that and recently started her own e-commerce brand. In this episode, she tells tells the whole story, the challenges, the ups, the downs, the stresses, uh, just so much in there that it's going to be applicable no matter what stage of the journey you're at. So definitely stick around for that. If you're enjoying these episodes, then you'll definitely also enjoy the Brand Builder newsletter. Each week we send out a newsletter covering all of the latest updates, everything that's going on in the world of Amazon and e-commerce. All you need to do to sign up is go to brandbuilderuni.com slash newsletter and you'll start getting that in your inbox every single Wednesday. Okay, without further ado, let's get into this episode and learn all about this incredible journey Sam has had in the world of entrepreneurship. Awesome. Well, I am here with my good friend, Sam. Sam, welcome to the Brand Builder Show. Thank you, Ben. I'm really looking forward to today. So thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, me too. Me too. I remember when you joined uh, Brand Builder University, uh, I think coming up for a year ago now, earlier this year, and just thinking like, gosh, this woman's got something about her and thinking she is going to absolutely smash it in this uh, in this business. So uh, I'm excited to dive into your kind of history because there's there's lots to uh, lots of interesting stuff to talk about. And then, you know, what you're doing now in the e-commerce space, super excited for your new brand that we'll talk about in the in the show. Uh, but before we do that, give us a little bit of an intro background on yourself, and then uh, we'll probably dive into some of those aspects. But yeah, what what have you been up to over the last few years? Sure. Well, thank you very much Ben, for that really uh, flattering introduction. I'm going to deserve it. But no, I um, well, it depends where you want me to go back to. But I, as a person, I grew up in Herefordshire. Um, always loved maths at, university, at school. Ended up going on to study maths at university, um, and then did a one-year um, accountancy placement, didn't find it um, floated my boat. I, I guess it, I'm quite creative in my thinking, um, which obviously leads me to being entrepreneurial. And so I ended up going back into university doing a master's. And then I, for my sins, ended up in the city uh, for 10 years as a trader um, and worked in New York and London. And it was really exciting. Um, but again, I didn't really feel like I'd found my groove. Um, and it, it was only when I stopped working to have my family that I really sort of took a step back and thought what do I want to do um I want to run my own business I want to be in charge of my own destiny um and so back in 2012 I was living in Paris with my husband for his work and um I had three small children wasn't able to work whilst I was out there so I started coming up with um creative business ideas and ended up uh coming up with the idea of starting a trampoline park business which I think you probably agree as your first business is not the sort of <laughs> not for the big hearted and not what uh, uh, usually you would do. I, I didn't sort of think about it in that way. I just knew that a trampoline park, uh, which didn't exist in the UK at the time, it was over in the US and I'd seen it on a US TV program because mm. we had French TV. So and I saw that and thought, wow, that doesn't exist in the UK. And I was into fitness obviously had small children, wanted to do something that um, encompassed uh, sort of a family entertainment, if you like. So I started working on the business plan and we moved back in 2014. And at that point, um, I developed fully fledged this business plan, was working with a team um, of private equity group in London, who in the end, I realised I was doing all the hard graft and um, they were supposed to be raising the money and they didn't. So I stepped away from them. But in the process of all my research, I'd come across a trampoline park manufacturer in the US who um, picked up the phone and said, I want to partner with you. So that's how the partnership was born. Um, and I sort of could probably go into more depth about the mistakes I probably made in jumping into that partnership without having done my due diligence. But needless to say, I sort of went into business with, with him and um, I started the trampoline park uh, brand called Rush Trampoline Parks, which is in the UK. There's two parks, one in, in High Wycombe and one in Birmingham. And I started off with one park um, and really did it for my kitchen table. I know it sort of sounds quite, um, what's the word, tweet to say that, but um, for the first year when I came back in 2014, um, I was energised by the fact that a trampoline park had suddenly opened in Camberley gravity force and one in Milton Keynes so I was a bit gutted at the time thinking gosh I'm not first to market but I think 
in actual fact, it did me a favour because it informed people about what an, a trampoline park was. So they'd done all the marketing. Um, so I found a site in High Wycombe and then the challenge that I faced from that November 2014 to the following December to get open was huge in terms of negotiating on leases, um, getting planning consent, um, project managing the build, uh, hiring all the staff, putting all the contracts in place. Um, I mean, designing the, in the inside of the park, uh, designing the website. There was It was just a huge, huge project. And now looking back, I can't really quite believe that I did it, but it was, I was very blinkered and head down and I am going to do this. Um, and I and I think the advice I would give to people who are looking to start businesses to rather than look at Everest, look at just approaching each base camp and getting to each level. Because if you look at the big bigger picture, look at what you're trying to set out to achieve, it could terrify you. Um, but I didn't approach it in that way. I just had goals and targets and short-term goals that I had to achieve. Um, and yeah, the, the doors of the trampoline park open. And I guess I'd been so blinkered by that when the park opened and it it was hugely successful i think that there was a, that the uk market was crying out for a new indoor leisure activity so and we were late in opening it through various delays but we had ten thousand customers within two weeks and it was like letting a tiger out of its cage and wow. the manager that i had recruited in to start the park with unbeknownst to me was really just fact finding because he wanted to go and do something for himself so within a week he'd left so i was left no operational experience i'd never run a trampoline park didn't have a clue what i was doing i mean and i remember early days my husband had to sort of take off his christmas holidays to, to help me because it was just before christmas that we opened and we would take bags of cash and be counting these coins on our kitchen table <laughs> to basically bank the cash and take, you know, one time I think there were, I had a rucksack full of about three grand and sort of locked the doors of the, the park and sort of crept into my car. I mean, it was insane when you look at it now. And, and the business by year two was turning over six million. It was, it was bonkers. Um, wow. So what happened was with that is that obviously started got very overwhelmed very quickly because i'd already negotiated a lease on a second site so my business partner who's over in the us had these big ambitions to launch lots of sites but um didn't really want to help so it was all down to me and my husband could see the burden of stress that was going on for me as well we'd taken on some personal guarantees on some debt to, for our equity so he decided um, bravely to step down from his position. He worked in the city as well and joined me in the June of 2016 to help me launch the second park. Um, and I have to say, it's a bit like um, I'm the visionary and he was the integrator. I don't know if you're familiar with the traction, um, but everything was coming to me because I'm not or haven't been the most organized of people. Everything's in my head. And I wouldn't advise this or recommend this to anyone else about the business, but everything was, I just didn't have time physically. So everything was in my head and everyone was coming to me and the answers were all in there, but they weren't, you know, on paper or in a file somewhere. So I remember my husband saying, so where's the file on this? I'm like, uh, it's in an email somewhere that I received back in May. Um, and he's like, oh my goodness, we need to sort this out. So he was amazing because he came in and he basically put operational procedures manu manuals and processes and order into place where I hadn't put in order because I think things just took off too quickly for me to be able to achieve that and we built the second park together which again opened to roaring success and it was it was a it was a huge um buzz and a ride to be on that journey um so yeah so that that's where I sort of was and I don't know where you want me to stop I can carry on for yeah, let's pause. No, we'll, we'll carry on, but let's pause because I've got so many questions. Um, yeah. No, that's amazing. Amazing. And then so both of those sites combined, what did you sort of max out at in terms of revenue with those? So, yeah, in the second year, the total revenue, it was Birmingham, I would say, was two thirds of the revenue and Hyrick in the third, roughly split um six million in, in year so two. So just by the end of 2017, we turned So you launched that second site in the second year? Yeah, uh, well, actually within a year. So I'd opened the first Sheesh. site in 2015 and the next one opened November 2016. Wow, that's... 2017, we turned over 
six million. So wow, yeah. that is some quick expansion. I yeah. do remember though, in uh, I lived in Australia for like 18 months, 2012, 2013, and we went to a trampoline park in Sydney. It was the first time I'd ever heard of anything like it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this has to come back to the UK. This is insane. And so it was, uh, and my, funnily enough, my brother-in-law was always saying to me like, oh, we should find somewhere to start one of those. I'm like, can you imagine the startup costs, the health and safety issues, the compliance issues? Oh, it would just stress me out so much. Yes, and you know what? Actually, that was something that really hit hard um, for me. So, I, obviously, my vision for Rush was to, a heaven for kids, a haven for parents, and and I was really passionate about that because I'd dragged my little ones around soft play centres and nasty sort of sticky floors and you know not very nice food and plastic seats, and I just remember thinking there has to be something more out there for the parent because you know we're going out there and we're more likely to go again if it's nice for us so and obviously it has to be great for the kids but they seemingly didn't care as much as long as the parents were happy the parents would pay to go back so that was really a sort of driving force for me but also I just wanted I had this belief you know everyone's just going to love it and it's like utopia and everyone's going to have a great time and having those first few I just realized that people can be quite mean and the public can be quite mean and they have no idea what you're what you're putting into something and some of the comments and feedback you get on social media and the criticisms and this isn't right and that isn't right and um i remember within the first two weeks um one of the customer service team was sent to supposed to send out party invitations to this customer and they hadn't received them in time because we were just inundated with calls and emails um and so there was this nasty comment on twitter and i just took it really to heart personally and i ended up driving to Marlow nearby to drop these invitations off and got a parking ticket and just remember driving on the way home in floods tears going I can't do this for 100,000 people um and so after that I realized I needed to put layers in between me and because obviously when I first started I had a the, the safety briefing video had me introducing myself to say, hi I'm and welcome to rush and then I realized I was walking around the park and everyone would be like, there she is, there she is. And I'm like, oh my goodness. So I, I, I had to sort of create some anonymity for myself because yeah. a lot of people would walk in the park and go, oh, I'm a friend of Sam's. Um, and she said, I can come in for free. And um, but yeah, the customers, people are, the public can be tricky sometimes. And I think I, I found that shock. I was fairly naive and green about that. And then the other thing that was really, really tough was that um, three months after the park opened, one of the areas of the park was a high performance arena, which, which was more sort of the Olympic trampolines with boxes that you jump. And there was a, a girl who was 17, um, a very slight um, in body weight uh, girl, and she came into the park and she hyperextended off one of the boxes and fractured both her tib and fib in both legs. Wow. And um, freak accident, um, nothing wrong with the trampolines. It was just one of those things she she hit hard and she was airlifted to hospital and I happened to have known the parents um and I found that really tough really oh, tough imagine uh, you know because I didn't set out to set up a business that would create that and that was mm. when the health and safety sort of side of things really hit home and I was like yeah. responsibility there um and so yeah like you say the compliance and the health and safety and all of those issues were the things that kept kept me awake at night um yeah. mostly. and then obviously staff really? yeah i can only imagine how much that would play on your mind how stressful that would be and like you say you can do everything right but just because of the nature of the 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 product or service there's there's always going to be potential for that isn't there so it's very difficult yeah Yeah. did it um you know three months in is is a real rough time for it to to do it as well did it ever make you think gosh this is all going to come crashing down or did you have to deal with those kind of thoughts yeah absolutely because you suddenly sort of question what you're doing it for because you think well like this is the whole point of this was and you know i've never been motivated by money as such it was i wanted to do something that i could put my rubber stamp on and go i did this i created this business yeah um and that's my legacy type of thing and um then to have that happen it really made me question what what i was doing or maybe not want to do it you know i was like oh my god this is too much I, i've taken on too much so um Thank goodness I have an amazing husband who was incredibly supportive and he could see what I'd created. Um, 
and wanted to be there to help me through it. And I think, like I say, we were, we were a very good team in many respects, although it, it is challenging working with your staff. There's no question about that. But, um, and there's yeah. no cut My wife would there agree. Was, for several years, there was no sort of work and home. It was, everything mm. was about rush and the kids yep. heard about rush. They had a great time. They used to go and play and bounce at rush. And that was something <laughs> fantastic, especially when they're little. Yep. But there was no divide or separation between work and home life. And that was challenging for several years. Yeah. Yeah, you feel like it would be every kid's dream for their mum and dad to own a trampoline park, but I'm sure it had its challenges. It was, in many respects, but yes, I think it was that they were like, mum and dad, you're always talking about Rush, can you not talk about something yeah. else? <laughs> you know, oh, so, so true. That's, uh, that hits home. Whereas, well, I think the other thing that's really, um, I remember just before the park opened, suddenly it dawned on me that I was going to be responsible for people's livelihoods. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was going to be an employer and that frightened me as well. I was like, oh my goodness, you know, these people's their income is relying on the jobs that I'm providing. Mm. And um, learning how to be a manager of people is also difficult. Initially, I was just too nice to everyone. Mm. Um, and not to say you need to be horrible to people, but it's about consistency and it's about yeah. making sure that you are consistent across the board because if you do yeah. something to one person, the, the other person's going to hear about it. And particularly when you're in a business where you've got a lot, lot of young staff, teenagers and early mm. 20s, they all talk to each other, yeah. um, you know. And so it's, it, it is about setting up framework and boundaries and, and, and a structure, if you like, of progression. Um, and so that kind of really took um, a while to put into place and evolve. Initially, it was all hands on deck. Um, but you were able to then put that into place and some um, pay structures and so on. So mm -hmm. everything was a learning curve, a huge learning curve. Um, and, you know, we, we had to learn along the way and we made mistakes, you know, we do, you know, but we, we always owned up to that. I think that's the one thing I would say. I was always very um, honest with my staff. And if I'd made a mistake, I would own up to it and say, you know what, I got that wrong. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I apologize or let's move on from it so um yeah i i have to say you know talking about it it's it, um it builds up this feeling inside of me which i can't quite sort of say whether it's anxiety or pride or you know i i think yeah. what people used to say to me god you must be so proud of what you've achieved and you've built but i didn't see it at the time i mean it was just so full-on and stressful it's only afterwards i guess since I've left Rush and gone back into the building and looked at it and gone, wow, I, I did this, you know. Um, but whilst you're in it, it's really hard to see. Yeah, it's hard to read the bottle whilst you're in the, hard to read the label whilst you're in the bottle, as they say. So yeah, um, right. you, yeah. you talked about that challenge of uh, everything getting crazy, you feeling like everything was on you and then having to sort of build some systems. I think every entrepreneur can relate to that when you start something, you know, in e-commerce, which is what we talk about a lot. You start on your own and then everything gets crazy busy and you have to start to try and get help and then you said it all lives in your head like that is probably you know 90 percent of entrepreneurs feel that wrestle early on and then you have to move away from that right you have to start getting it out of your head and into some systems were there some things that you remember doing that were significant to help you with that to help it grow in the way that it did yeah i mean obviously a business of that scale with so many inputs and outputs we needed an accounting and a decent sort of accounting software so mm -hmm. very quickly we used a, um, a fantastic local accounting firm who were brilliant and their zero accounting software which i now use as well for this business um so that was really really important um uh, and putting in um you we used a hr consultancy company to help us with payroll um mm -hmm. payroll was um and we got them involved in building us a piece of software that was very bespoke yeah. for the business the scheduling and 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 so on so um contracts as well i mean obviously these are bigger things that when a business grows you're going to have to put into place as a smaller business but you know it, you need to have contracts and contracted terms and you know a good payroll system good hr good hr yeah. advice um and um and good accounting software i think that that was and then obviously the other thing that um my husband and i did was we created um a schedule of weekly zoom calls or um conference calls not okay. zoom at the time um with the Birmingham branch when that launched 
what we wanted to do is run it as a sort of to achieve economies of scale we needed to run it as one business with two separate branches mm -hmm. if you like and yeah. make sure that we were being consistent with both um and so and also sharing best practices and best ideas um so we had to make sure that we had calls so we would have um, an operating committee call we would have a duty managers call we would have a food and beverage call you know we would do across the week um and people would moan a bit initially about that and go oh gosh we have to get another call but it was it was creating accountability and making people turn up for it and they had to present a certain um mm. measurables you know financial measurables um each week that we could then see progression from yeah. um there were a sort of a weekly update um, and each manager had a different um, deliverable for that. So that was really important so that we could all have a benchmark to see what we're working against. Um, yeah. So those, those sort of things were really, really crucial. And obviously from a health and safety standpoint from our insurers, we had to make sure that we had really robust processes in terms of accident reporting. And, yeah. um, you know, so there was a lot. A lot. <laughs> yeah, no, I could. I, like I say, it just stresses me out just thinking about it. But the um, yeah. the girl that, that broke legs, did you did you have to face any legal action because of that? Oh well, interestingly, well, she, they they did try and make a claim, but there was no claim to make because you have yeah. to prove negligence, and there was none. So um, yeah. so they so they did, and and I mean, gosh, that was the first of many. So we would have different mm -hmm. levels of um, code reds, they were called if there was, you know, and it to down to down to someone sticking a plaster on someone who's grazed their hand. Um, um and also we had various um what we what we call spurious claims, if you like, people trying mm. to make a claim for no reason. Yep. So we had CCTV camera and we had a system where, you know, that camera footage had to be clipped and it had to be recorded down and um, an accident report had to be filled in and then, you know, depending on the level of severity, it had to be reported to the insurance company. So it was an ongoing story, if you like. But, um, and yes, we had several um, claims, um, but we managed to sort of pretty much fight most of them. I think the one claim that we had, which <laughs> sounds in hindsight a bit silly, but we'd put some benches on the platform on our mezzanine floor um, and an old lady sat on it and the bench wasn't pinned down she'd had a hip replacement and the bench slipped and she fell off it um oh, no. and that's fair enough you know she yeah. should, have, should have bolted it to the floor and that was a lesson then so you know we, but not many really um that we, we had to sort of really face that because the thing is we had the procedures we had all the duty manager checks to check all the trampolines mm. and to make sure it was safe and all the springs were checked every day i mean there, there's a lot yeah. that had to be done just mm. to open the park to make sure it yeah. was safe but, but credit to you, you know, a lot in terms of, a lot, it sounds like a lot of good systems and processes in place. Did um, did you have, you talked about traction, uh, EOS, that kind of thing. Did you have the, those things act, uh, active in that business or is that something you've learned since? No, about a year before I left uh, Rush, I was approached by an organisation called Vistage and they're an organisation that um, run groups of um, CEO. I always call it AA for CEOs, but basically you, you join local CEOs and you share best practices and issue processing and um, learn how to manage your business better through sharing best ideas. And I was invited to join this group, which was a great thing to join. And I only wish I'd been invited to join it sooner because I learned a lot from people in different industries. It wasn't in the same industry, but, you know, you you talk in an open, honest way and it what goes, what you know, be, behind those four closed walls, you don't share it's confidential but it, it enabled you to sort of openly speak to people who were in, in the same boat as you and say I don't know what to do here I've got this member of staff who's being tricky and what do I do or you know I've got this going on or that and so um and in that um EOS is a is a big part of this and they sort of have EOS we have keynote speakers coming in and talking about it so um I found it really interesting when the keynote speaker came in and talked about that and um, read the books and listened to um couple of the sort of further books and just thought wow when I do my next business <laughs> I'm going to try and implement EOS so um and um I, I I do intend to do that I mean in a sense in a way there's just me at the moment so but even still um learning about ways in which you know key people in my key seats there were so many examples where I'd hired the wrong person but tried to make it work by changing the job yeah. and now uh, you know there's I guess there's, there's so many mistakes and lessons that I learned with Rush that I really feel that it's like having had an MBA but on the 
you know, practical, so <laughs> MBA. So, yep. um, you know, I had to roll up my sleeves and learn learn on the way. So I can apply all of those learnings to this new business yeah. that I'm doing. I think that yeah. that in itself has been quite empowering. Definitely. No, that's really good. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that transition into what you're doing now and how uh, that has your past sort of history has either hindered you or helped you. Um, how, what, what was the kind of the ending with, with Rush? How did that all play out? Or how come you decided to walk away from that? So being really honest with you, um, when I, I mentioned to you before about doing the due diligence when you go into partnership with someone yeah. and um, I hadn't really done the right due diligence. A guy based in Atlanta, Georgia, who... Um, ran trampoline park manufacturing business and had this idea of getting involved in the operational side of the business and partnering up with various different people and um i guess got courted into that relationship but once that relationship was um legally binding if you like in terms of the equity split and so on then the goalposts suddenly changed mm-hmm. um so by example, he invested into the first part, but then wanted to start the second part but without putting any further investment into it, which is why um, we ended up with personal guarantees because we took out asset finance to finance that. But mm. we being in the UK with the UK mortgage um, meant that our next were on the line, but there was no change in equity split. So long and the short of it was, you know, that original agreement sort of gave me a minimal salary. Um, mm. And obviously the idea was that we would earn money from dividends and so on. But unfortunately, it didn't sort of happen that way because the second part was built um, very quickly. Um, And then in 2018, the heat wave of 2018 really impacted all trampoline and indoor leisure, actually, and um, Mm. sales fell off a cliff. So it ended up that I was fixed on this very low salary. My husband came in to help me and he was being paid even less. And despite 17 attempts to have raised it at board level um my business partner wasn't prepared to budge on that and so financially as a couple we were going further and further underwater because we were earning a third i think of what my husband combined what my husband's previous income was wow i'm working three times as hard probably with a lot more mm-hmm. on our shoulders and so my husband ended up um going back into the city because we couldn't afford for him to stay in the business um mm. and i continued to run the business we had a, a really fantastic offer, a general manager uh, who who was who became a sort of group head and he was fantastic and i worked with him but um it was still a struggle and i think um i then ended up trying to buy my business partner out because it was very difficult running a business where you've got 50 50 vote on the board but you can't get a hold of your business partner because he's on a trip to alaska on a motorbike or he's you know, on a, it, it, he he retired from his, he sold his trampoline park manufacturing business and retired and then was in really difficult to get hold of. I couldn't make decisions. Yeah. Um, couldn't move the business forward in the direction it needed to be moved into. So it just became, became an untenable relationship and I stopped enjoying it for that reason. And I just thought this mm. is far too stressful and not worth it for what I'm getting out of it. So when lockdown hit um, in March 2019, 20, funny um at that point anyway i'd try to negotiate this deal and borrow some money to buy the business partner out and it fell through and then it our relationship turned sour and it was just like you know what i'll keep this business afloat um and hand over the keys to you but um which i managed to do with some sort of clever accounting and used used various methods to try and keep the cash because obviously we stopped earning money and had to close the doors and that was really really stressful and difficult um but i just realized that that was the right time for me to step away so yeah i and and i'm glad i did i i think it was the right time i'm very able to sort of compartmentalize and put that into my back of the brain and go you know i've done that but Mm. the time was right to move away i didn't walk away with an awful lot if Mm. i'm honest um out of that um because unfortunately um you know the business was losing a lot of money through lockdown and Mm. just about managed to keep it solvent and handed over the keys so wow. um and i'm proud of that in an in actual yeah, fact to yeah. a solvent position mm. was um really challenging because i know mm. a lot of parks went out of business in that mm. time yeah for sure. um yeah so and i and i have to say as well through the from 2017 to 2019 on a personal note i i hadn't realized that i was very stressed from running the business 
understandably. Um, but I, so it was affecting me on a personal health, on a health basis. So there was one time I ended up in A&E where I'd lost feeling down one side and they sort of did a CT scan and they said, there's nothing wrong with you. You think you're just stressed. Wow. And a couple of times when, you know, my mood was so low, I felt really low and I'd go to the doctors and he would say, oh, you know, like, you're just really stressed, but I can't write you off work because you're the boss. But unbeknownst to me, all of that, and this will probably lead us quite nice into the mm. next stage, yeah. was I was going through early menopause and I hadn't realised that that was what was going on with me. So I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating particularly well. My anxiety levels were through the roof and everything I was putting attributing to rush. But now in hindsight, I realised that it was also due to the fact my hormones were all over the place. And, um, and I didn't, I felt overwhelmed and I felt like I wasn't, able to sort of continue because it, like I say it wasn't making me happy um and I needed to move away from it so I'm really glad that I did it and I'm really proud of what I achieved and what I learned um and do I have any regrets um I suppose the only regret I have is to have done my due diligence and gone into we could have we had offers to go into business with other people and my husband and I often say if we'd have done it differently or if we'd have stuck to one park we would have been in a totally different situation now and we'd probably have a lot more money in the bank but you know you live and learn and I, I just think that life is a constant journey of learning isn't it so and it's the thing that I enjoyed the most about Rush was the process of getting it open that entrepreneurial journey um, and once it was a fully established up and running business um, with staff you know 200 staff and a million customers I, I didn't enjoy it as much so I think that I'm as I say I love the visionary part of starting the business and that sort of creativity if you like so um yeah yeah it's honestly it's an incredible achievement to you know see that kind of growth and systemize it and, and the staff and launch that second location and just incredible incredible achievement um so you know you should be 100 percent proud of that but i can understand those regrets i think you know that's a, a very common thing for entrepreneurs as well is to look back and think man i wish i'd have done x y and z different but you're right you, you know it's i once said i once saw someone say you know someone said would you do anything different if you did it all over again and they said well no because you, you learn uh you learn the job in the job you know and that's the only way you can do it there's no point having those uh, conversations with yourself about oh if only i could do my time again because lesson is where you are today and so no i think you've yeah, yeah you've done an amazing job and excited for what you're doing now which is uh, launching into yeah. e-commerce and um what made you kind of make that shift what was it about e-commerce and selling on amazon that kind of thing that got you enticed well so in the august of 2020 obviously left rush and took a bit of time out just to recover um physically emotionally and um actually was training to be a vistage chair which is the vistage group I, I was telling you about um because i thought oh well, you know this is a good idea i can do this and run a vista group of ceos but then during that process i just realized that i wanted to be doing it again mm. i wanted to be the ceo i didn't want to be chairing it i wanted to you know i still had this entrepreneurial drive and i was like mm, i need to be doing it not not help you know not coaching people um that's just who i am and um so i started to sort of explore various ideas and i remember very very distinctly how i care about finding you so my son is a competitive swimmer uh and he um 16 years old and during lockdown in the christmas of december last year um the local club managed to get some pool time at the local rye lido in wickham which is an outdoor pool so it's freezing cold and the only time i could get was five in the morning so i'm going to four in the morning and driving there with my son thinking well i can't go home there's not enough time so i had like a sleeping bag or some or a duvet on top of me and I thought there's no no time to sleep so I'm drinking coffee and I'm just searching on line for ideas and up her pops your YouTube so I watched your video and thought oh, this is interesting Amazon sales this is you know I hadn't really thought about it before and then um, on the way home in the car with my son I was sort of telling about the video I watched and he seemed to know so much more than me he's like what you're talking about drop shipping or affiliate marketing <laughs> How do you know this? I mean, so good. I'm like, everyone knows this. I'm like, well, no, I don't know this. So, so that kind of got me thinking, I need to learn more. So I started watching your videos and thought, this sounds really interesting. And then I obviously signed up, signed up with the brand builder in January because you did a special offer, didn't you? So I'm bigging you up here. But that was really the start to get going because I just thought, well, 
I, I think several factors. One is I knew I didn't want to have a business partner. I wanted to start something small from for myself, by myself, be my own boss, not have to answer to anyone, especially not like my old, old business partner. Second one is that, you know, um, with being in lockdown and realising that everyone's buying online, I'm thinking there's an opportunity there. There has to be. But I had no idea what I wanted to sell. So I thought, I'm going to learn and I'm going to do your course and figure it all out. So that's what I did. And I sort of did the first eight weeks of your course in about eight days and just watched, watched, watched and loved it. And, and signed up to Helium 10 and then started doing all of the Helium 10 research. And I just couldn't find anything that inspired me. I was like, dog baskets or lamps or, you know, and I just thought, this isn't, this isn't, how, this isn't me. Because everything you were saying is about building the brand. And I've done that before and I knew how to build a brand. And I thought, no, I have to build a brand that I'm passionate about and something that I believe about in. And um, and then, so that brings me to going back and talking about the fact I'd been through the menopause. So obviously mm. I'm into my fitness. Um, I uh, take protein shakes. I also had felt that during that process of going through the menopause or being in the menopause, it was a minefield. I didn't know where to start in terms of nutritional supplements. And I felt quite depleted after my journey with Rush. I'd lost quite a bit of weight. And I, did, I looked at myself and I thought, God, you, know, you need to take some supplements. You need to give yourself a boost. Yeah. But when you start researching online, it's just loads of stuff. And I hate taking tablets. You know, those big capsules. I, and I'm really terrible with remembering to take them as well. So I get felt with the best intentions, buy all these packets, spend a blooming fortune in Holland the Barrett or whatever, and then I never take them. <laughs> And I just thought to myself, wouldn't it be great if there was an all-in-one solution where everything's packed into one thing and you can just drink it? Hence, hence was born my idea. Because I remember you saying on one of your tutorials or something about starting a nutritional supplement brand and how you can white label it through mm -hmm. UK manufacturing. So I started doing my research online. And also I was kind of a bit wary about buying things from China at that time because I knew that shipping was a nightmare and, mm -hmm. and COVID and so on. So I thought, stick to the UK that might make life easier um and so I approached a couple of manufacturers with an idea they then pointed me in the direction of a nutritionist who said that they worked with to formulate spoke with her told her about my idea I'd done a lot of research about what I thought would go into it and um her name's Shona Wilkinson and um, she's very well renowned in the industry for the whole of Nutricenter for Tesco's and we just clicked and she really liked my concept. And then I realized, I just felt like I was onto something. And um, I, I was like a dog with a bone. I was just like, right, this is it. This is what I'm gonna do. So all the other healing research went to one side. I did obviously research collagen and mm -hmm. uh, protein shakes and menopause supplements and did that research. But um, I kind of then almost just put all of that Amazon stuff to one side and thought, right, I'm just gonna focus on this next part. And yeah, so then I, I drew upon my experience before of knowing I needed to create a brand. I needed to have a good name. I needed to register a trademark. I needed to have um, the logo, um, the look and feel of everything correct. And so spent a bit of time working on that mm -hmm. um, because I really felt that that was really important. And yeah, so so that kind of, I don't know, people have seen this as my brand. It's Bomimo. Um, the name, um, took a bit of time and originally I was going to be called Girl Power Nutrition, well my company is Girl Power Nutrition but I was going to do the superwoman shake and the supergirl shake and, and then I suddenly thought well that's not really what I'm trying to sort of portray here because I don't want people thinking that it's for bodybuilding or fitness, it, it, this is different. Yeah. So Bomimo uh, is short for Body Mind Mojo, nice. I read this book somewhere about um, women losing their mojo in the menopause yeah. and just you know what actually that's really true. Um, and yeah, the, the mission for the company, um, I always believe in having a good mission statement, you know, to yep. where your values are at and it's to empower every woman to feel their best self at every hormonal stage. Um, and I also listened to quite a few podcasts, um, you know, Daniel Priestley, Key Persons Influence. Um, so he was talking about creating um, a niche and going with your niche and becoming a key person mm -hmm. in your yeah, niche yeah. and yeah. um rather than trying to appeal to everyone just yeah. try and focus on your and hone in so i suppose that's what i realized is do i want to do supplements for men as well as women no do i want to do women all women no what do i want to target i want to win, target women's hormonal 
Women's Hormonal Journey. So this first product is the menopause and perimenopause, obviously, which yeah. is kind of close to my heart. And eventually, as we talked about earlier, I would like to branch out into products for teenagers with PMS and puberty and then products yeah. for women postnatally because quite often we get forgotten about once we've had the baby it's all about the baby but whilst we're pregnant everyone looks after us and then afterwards you know a lot of women suffer with postnatal depression or they yeah. you know can't supplement their baby's needs for breastfeeding or they're depleted from nutrients so that's something I feel strongly about so, so I have this whole range of products that I now want to launch eventually it's yeah. just take a bit of time to get there so that's definitely that's it yeah yeah, no, that's good. And I think it's a real smart play, you know, because you, your product is so, you know, they say that the riches are in the niches, which works if you say niches, like niches and not niches, but, um, you know, the, the, that being able to have that focus. And there's lots of reasons for that, right? You know, you know now exactly who your target market is and you can speak their language, you know, you can communicate to them in a way that's going to be compelling. And so, no, I think there's a lot of um, wisdom in that. The, from the uh, supplement side, is it a like custom blend of stuff that's in there? Yeah, absolutely. So I, so so I initially did a load of research as to every ingredient mm. that could possibly be optimal for perimenopause and menopause, and I think it was about fifty ingredients. And went to my nutritionist and said, "Can we put this in?" She goes, uh, "We might need to cut that back slightly because what I hadn't realised is the more ingredients you put into the supplement, the more expensive it becomes." So, when you see supplements with sort of five or six ingredients that hasn't cost them a lot to produce whereas something with 30 ingredients does cost more mm. um so it it had to be a fine there's a fine line between making it efficacious and it's got to work but also um making it affordable to produce so um i worked with shona to talk about what i wanted it to achieve mm -hmm. and that was obviously being protein powder based because women in the menopause and post-water need more protein for maintenance maintaining muscle mass um not just if you're exercising but in general um i wanted to throw some collagen in there because i've done some helium 10 research and realized that collagen cells so that was kind of the helium factor um but then obviously it had to have a multivitamin blend um so that instead of having because i wanted it to be an all-in-one all-in-one solution and then alongside of that then it was going to include or had to include herbs that are seen to be beneficial um, uh, for the menopause, so things like red clover and wild yam mm. and rayash dressings. And obviously I wanted to put in things like black cohosh and there's various other with sage, but there's, you know, you learn along the way, there's legislation in terms of, you know, that you'd have to have a, a herbal certification to put those types of herbs mm. into a, a product. So it had to be something that worked. Um, and then some of the other ingredients in terms of flaxseed and cinnamon husk and green tea and cinnamon were to help with the weight management side of um, menopause where women tend to put on a few pounds. So it, there was, it was from different angles, but I wanted to put it as all in one and it had to taste good, um, had to blend well, um, because the idea being is that women will have it sort of for breakfast or as a mid-morning snack and actually want to drink it. There's no point creating something, in my opinion, that tastes disgusting, even if it's good for you, because no one's going to want to drink it. So. Um, there were lots of boxes that needed to be ticked. And then, and then it was an iterative process in terms of starting with the list. Um, and then, I don't know if you're still there, um, starting with the list and then cutting that list back to a list that was optimal. Um, uh, and then working with a flavour development house to get the flavouring correct. Looks yeah, like so you were just saying about it is a bespoke formula. It's never been created. No one else has made it before. Um, it would be brilliant to be able to patent it, but unfortunately, you have to be fully transparent as to what's in the formulation on a food supplement. So, yes. you know, you can't really. But the way in which I've tried to protect my con concept is just by registering the trademark um, and having the brand out there. So, yeah. Good. So that's so yes. It's that, it, and each one I'll, I'll do is going to be bespoke mode. It's not. It's it's going to be formulated in the same process. I've already formulated the one for the teenagers although that's going to take a bit longer to release, but um, with the same sort of let's look at teenagers as a whole, let's look at what they suffer from in terms of puberty, cognitive function, concentration, acne, mm. PMS, see what we can throw in there that will help them with that. So that's yeah. sort of the philosophy I've got in terms of um, creating. Yeah, really good, really good. And you've been making some some moves with this, right, in terms of your marketing plan, because it's uh, we were talking about it before, it's something we've been 
you know, discussing that it's not uh, something that there's loads of initial search volume for. It's not something you're just going to place in front of people and they're going to automatically buy it by the droves. It's, there's an education mm. around it, right? So that's changing how you're approaching this. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think that that's sort of really um, become quite uh, obvious in the last month. I, I, I got finally got the pouches um, through at the end of October. It took longer than I thought. Um, they went on pre-order. I've built a website, a Shopify website, alongside of Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, and I had an initial amount of interest. But I think that what I'm learning is that um, women do need education on protein powders. Aren't they also, interestingly, I think a lot of women or maybe in slight denial that they're in the perimenopause and menopause, and yeah. that I'm trying to sort of shift the emphasis to say, you can take this post 40, even if you don't think you're in the perimenopause, because I'm pretty certain you are. You know, if you're telling me you're sleeping very well or you're feeling anx anxious or you've got the odd hot flush, that's probably what you're in. But if you don't want to believe it yet, then that's fine. So I think that post 40, there's no harm in any woman having this shape because it's only going to give you all of the vitamins and minerals that you need. and you know, all of the other elements are going to just boost your your optimal health. So um, I think that message has to get, come across um, in, a, in a clever way to, to make women not be put off it or not go, oh, well, I'm not going to take that yet because I'm not in the force. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. later. You know, it's um, it's about and, and funnily enough, I, I actually told some friends about the teen girl shake and they were like, oh, I, I think I'm going to take the teen girl shake because that, you know, I, I'm fine. <laughs> and I'm like, well, no, 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 no point so um yeah so my marketing um what what's challenging obviously is in terms of amazon keyword research and mm. what keywords you put out there because if you put protein shake that what the volume of that market's huge and you're competing mm. against some of the big players so um and similarly with collagen so you know but if you were just to put red clover for example the search volume is very low so obviously the word menopause and perimenopause is quite important to be in there um, but that's still an evolving um, learning curve that I'm going on in terms of what's the best way in which people are going to find you. And, you know, I, I managed to get within a very short space of time from page seven to page one. So that's good. Um, I'm not at the top of page one, um, but, you know, I'm OK with that because the thing as long as I'm on the first page, that's not a bad that's thing. Right. So you know, and getting reviews is also challenging, getting people to try it and like it. Um, and then similarly on Google, Google ads, again, there's a there's, I think, ruling that you can't put sort of medical symptoms on mm. Google or you have to be yeah. careful with your working. So obviously it would be fantastic if that wasn't the case, because then I could get people who probably go onto Google and search. I've had a hot flush. What do I do? Mm. You know, um, so, so that's a bit of a challenge. Um, and SEO, I, I am I've written a couple of blogs. I'm, you know, I realize that that's going to be really crucial in terms of people mm. searching. So there's a lot to do. And I think I mentioned to you that I'm also signed up to do a course to become um, an executive menopause coach. Mm, yeah, there's really quite a lot of noise recently about menopause in the press and um, legislation going through Parliament to enable women to have free HRT and also to um, ring fence women or protect women in the workplace um, who may be going through the menopause. So um, I felt that if I could become more credible in that space and talk more um, knowledgeably about menopause, not just from my own experience, but also with a sort of accreditation mm. behind it, that that would benefit me in terms of going mm. out there and putting things on social. And, and it's, a, it's a several pronged attack, really. You can't just focus on one aspect. You have to try and look at it from different angles and constantly yeah. look at it. And see. Yeah, yeah. No, that'd be a big brand asset as well, I think. So that's really, really exciting. And you've had a bit of press as well. How did you go about um, getting your product in, in press? You've been in a couple of newspapers? Yeah, so... So when I started working with Shona Wilkerson, the um, nutritionist, she recommended to me a PR company um, who specialises in helping to launch nutritional supplement brands. So I've been talking to them for several months and they've gotten to know me and we've really started. And then I started engaging with their, their services um, when I finally got the product. So unfortunately, we missed World Venipals Month, but um, they've been working on short leads and long leads and sending out pouches. So sort of set aside 50 pouches to, to send to journalists to try um and yeah i was very lucky that the health editor for the daily express mirror mirror loved it and she's featured it and also yesterday in chat magazine but hoping for january once we're over the christmas rush to get some more uh sorry this one uh to get some more traction with 
some of the bigger health magazines, um, Daily Mail Online would be fantastic, Health yeah. and Wellbeing and Women's Health and so on. So fingers crossed that that comes through. We're working on it. Definitely. But, but I, I made the decision to invest some of my money into that because I felt like unless people know about something like this, they're never going to find it. Yeah. Um, so it, I felt like it was worth putting the money into that and setting, setting aside some money for that. Um, so who knows? Hopefully that will have paid off. <laughs> I, I think it will. And like I've been saying to you, I think, you know, it's maybe not the traditional route of an Amazon seller that finds high demand, low competition, or, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's, a, it's a, a product that really solves a real clear problem for a group of people. And I think that it's going to be a smash hit success. And so it's just going to, you know, take like anything that's a bit newer and takes a bit of education, it, it'll take a bit of time. But, um, yeah, when it, when it does sort of really take off, I think it's going to be real successful. So we're excited to see how it all develops. How, how can um, people find out more about it? What's the, the web address, etc.? So, yeah, the website is www.bomimonutrition.com. So that's B-O-M-I-M-O nutrition.com. Right. And so the same, uh, so same for social handles. So we're at Bomimo Nutrition, both on Instagram and on Facebook. Nice. Awesome. Well, any menopausal or otherwise women, uh, you know, or any men that just want to support women around them or take the shake themselves, come along and support and subscribe and uh, definitely get, get amongst it. Sam, you're an absolute inspiration. I really appreciate you coming on the show and, uh, you know, just wish you the most success. Really excited to see it unfold and um, hopefully, you know, just be able to, yeah, just watch the journey as it unfolds. Thank you so much, Ben. I really appreciate it. And obviously, um, thanks for all your support as well. Could have done it without you on that early morning <laughs> Christmas last year. That's good. Glad to hear it. Good stuff. All right. Well, uh, hopefully we can maybe bring you back on next year and see how progress is going. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Definitely. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, thank appreciate you so it. Much. Well, what an episode that was. I don't know about you, but I am greatly inspired every time I sit down with Sam. She is incredibly switched on. She is building something great with Bamimo. So excited to see where that goes. So if you are in the target market or want to give someone or just want to support her business, definitely go and check the website out and, uh, and be a support to her business because uh, honestly, I think it's going to be something that gets massive over time and it's a great product, it solves a great problem. So I'm super Super excited to see how it goes. Thank you for joining me on the Brand Builder Show. As ever, if you have been liking these episodes, please do take the time to leave a review. Let us know how you're getting on with the podcast. It really helps us keep getting on high quality guests. They're going to help you build a brand that you own and a life that you love. I'll see you in the next episode real soon. <laughs>